Today we'll be talking about Autumn Oaks entries opening, some changes to the 2023 Tournament of Champions regions and finals, and then Alan and I will be breaking down the rule change proposals that are set to be voted on at Autumn Oaks this year. You don't want to miss this. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. It's hard to believe Autumn Oaks is already uh, on its way in here this year. It is. We've worked on the uh, ads for it already. Yeah, came off or uh, came by our desk here a couple of weeks ago. Already. A lot of the time, a lot of times, I'm surprised by it whenever I get in the inbox and it's time to start working on it because it feels like it just passed. I know it's crazy. Time just flies, doesn't it? It does. It does. So yeah, online entries are open June 1st. They opened up. Yep, online entries open June 1st. Uh, like we said, the event ad is now available. It's in the June issue of Coonhound Bloodlines. Um, and that, in that, uh, ad, there's an entry form for folks who still like to do stuff by mail, but the online entry is open. And then also, of course, we're always available in the hunting ops department to take entries over the phone. If that's how you so choose to do. Yeah. This year, again, we're going to take some walk-ups like we have been for the last couple of events, winter classic and, and autumn oaks. And it's actually worked quite well. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, uh, entries are open till August 12th this year okay. at midnight Eastern time. That's important for the. For the central time folks because sometimes they push it a little bit yeah 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 that's right so walk-up entries are going to be they're a little bit more and they have to be for good reason the entry fees are 60 bucks but if somebody wants to enter do a walk-up why there you go you still have that opportunity uh but we'll accept those based on available guides and uh, uh that we have local there right that's right and the yeah. 60 dollars is compared to the 40 dollar pre-entry fee so it'll save you a little bit of money and ensure you get to hunt that way um, one thing we need to talk about is the national dual championship because it is the one that's time sensitive as far as getting your entry in because those are capped at a hundred entries. So the first hundred after those are in, uh, the events capped and it's full. Yeah. So it's a little time sensitive. Yeah. If you want to enter that hunt that runs on Thursday. So if you want to enter that one, they need to enter, um, ASAP, get your entry in for that. That's right. That's right. And for all of them, for that matter, for the autumn oaks as well. Uh, the other thing we need to mention is that uh, we did away with the waitlisted entries for all advanced entries. So anybody that enters in advance online or whatever before the event, before August 2nd, they will not be put on a waitlist. We will use those walk-up entries to serve as our waitlisted entries. That's right. And the easy thing about that, and it makes it an uh, even better idea to pre-enter is that when you get up there to confirm your entry, barring you don't have any dog or category changes, you get your cast number right then. You don't have to worry about anything until we draw cast. Yeah, there's definitely some advantages to uh, other than just the fee, you know, to to enter early and in advance and save a few dollars as well. Um, and also, I want to just remind everybody, if they're a guide, they need to make sure they write down how far they're going because we do monitor that best we can. We don't want to send casts way too far, an unreasonable distance. That's right. That's right. And not to leave the show folks out, uh, obviously pre-entry is open for, for the, both the bench show and the confirmation show right now as well. $25 pre-entry. If you enter day of show, it's $30, but it'll save you some time and five bucks per dog if you enter right now. So 
There you go. So there's some information for Autumn Oaks. You also have some uh, information for TOC, Tournament of Champions, right? That's right. We have a couple of changes this year uh, for the Tournament of Champions uh, in the region. We've uh, the Northwest region been in Bloomfield, Iowa, for the past two years, and we've we've made a change now. Right? We've shifted it about an hour south to Kirksville, Missouri. Right. Right. Um, I, I've talked to a couple of the guys down there in that area. There's a lot of coons in that area. It's prime hunting territory. Uh, there's multiple clubs there that are going to be working together. I think Kirksville, Memphis, will play to all those clubs work together. They've hosted major events before, so I don't think it's going to drop off the quality at all. It's going to be a it's going to be a really good region. There's going to be some good scores come from there, I believe. Similar hunting train that is what they had there at Milton, Iowa. That's right. Very similar, probably. And there'll be some overlap on guides too, from what I hear. I mean, sure. it'll only be an hour apart. So yeah, <laughs> so that's going to be in the in the north central part of Missouri. So yeah, that's a good location. Awesome location, actually. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And as anybody who hunted in Ohio knows, uh, the Ohio region last year, it was a little oversaturated. 289 pre-entries. I think they hunted on Friday night around 270 dogs. Um, that's a lot of dogs to put in the woods anywhere in the country on any given night mm -hmm. in these days and times. Yeah. So we've added an, another region, uh, LaGrange, Indiana. Uh you probably are more familiar with that area than I am. Yeah, that's home to me. Lagrange is, you know, and that's a great place to put it in. In Lagrange, there they have a great. That's a good hub. There's uh, several clubs. The Hamilton Club is less than an hour away, probably forty minutes from there. Uh, you can go up to Bellevue, Michigan, to Reading, Michigan. Some of those clubs they can get for support. That's going to be a great location right there to add. And that will. The biggest thing is that will alleviate the Ohio region. Last year they had what close to three hundred dogs, and they got them all. They got them all in the woods and hunted and everything, but it was too much, too much. And this will alleviate a lot of that. And it's I think it's a I think it's a good location to put an additional region in. That's right. And also we had to do a little bit of adjusting with our our TOC finals this year. Uh, the facility that we've been at the past couple of years, it's not available for the same weekend it was this past year. So we're actually moving up a weekend, and uh, it's going to be on April 13th through 15th now. That's the finals. Regions is the same weekend, March 31st and, and April 1st this year, but the finals is moving up a weekend. Yeah, and then we plan to leave it there like that, right, on that same weekend, right? That's right. I, I'm hoping that we've went ahead and put in to reserve that weekend for the next few years at least. Yeah. Uh, so we also have a couple other changes uh, to do with the finals then too, right? The way we're going to run it? That's right. Uh, this year and last year, we we did a two-night format. Uh, going to the 96 dogs, the two nights uh, was a little tedious for the host club, uh, for us, made, uh, and, uh, you know, we didn't get the coverage on the, the quarterfinalist dogs that we wanted. So we've decided to go through it to a three-night finals starting on Thursday night with the first round. Uh, on Friday night, we're going to run round two. And uh, on Saturday night, again, we're going to do uh, round three in the final cast. So we'll still take the same 96 dogs as we did la this last year, just starting a day early and just one round on Thursday. That's right. That's going to make it really nice and allow us to do a lot more things on, on Friday, I feel like. Yeah, I think that we have some pretty good ideas for Friday. Uh, there's going to be – we're going to be down to 24 uh, dogs and handlers to spotlight. We're going to be able to get a lot of information. And I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it seems like – in uh, early conversations we've had about the live show uh it seems like we're going to shift it to friday and focus more on those 24 dogs that made it to that round and uh you know obviously we'll still highlight some of the dogs that they hunted against and give credit where credit's due but we really want to highlight those quarter finalists that yeah, made it there that'll be good yeah. we'll like that yeah 
Yeah, so the the money's going to stay the same, $250,000, so that won't change. We'll have the everything will be the same there. Same with Saturday, we'll have two rounds, round 3. The early round will be the heads up round, six dogs left at that point hunting heads up, and then those three winners advance to the finals in the late round. $250,000 and so that's right. Get qualified. It's only <laughs> going to get better, I feel like. Absolutely. I think uh, the, the more we go, the better it gets it seems like. Yeah. This year was already much cleaner and smoother than last year i felt like and we're only going to learn and and progress as we go so. yeah we kept talking about we'll improve on this and that and i feel like we really did this year we improved on some things and and i feel like we can improve even more absolutely so. well everyone welcome to uh the episode today of the ukc hunting ops podcast uh one of the main things that we're going to dive into today alan and i is going to be the uh 2022 rule change proposals that we have coming up to be voted on at autumn oaks so I know this is going to be uh, something that a lot of people are going to want to hear about and uh, probably express their opinion about to their breed associations and s try to sway votes and things. But I figure this is a good platform to discuss it, uh, kind of go in depth with it a little bit and uh, and get that information out there. Yeah, this is something that only happens every three years and has for years and years. It has for ever since I can remember. So that would have been the late 80s when I first started. Every three years they had this. And we're actually talking about maybe possibly changing it to five years, but that's not set in stone, but we've, there's some talk about it. That's right. So I guess the first thing to talk about is the procedure for how these rule changes work. Yeah, yeah. And as you said, it's every three years. So last time it happened was 2019. And I, I started in June or late May of 2019. So I kind of missed this early portion of it. I got in just in time. You had everything taken care of except for going to Autumn Oaks and getting the voting and, and stuff done for it. Uh, but basically how it works is uh, we have seven chartered breed associations for our seven Coonhound breeds. Um, and in the January issue of Coonhound Bloodlines, ran the advisor column that uh, instructed folks who had opinions on rule changes to get it to their uh, their breed association that they're members of. And they were to uh, get them turned into them by March 4th. Um, we gave the breed associations a couple weeks to get them compiled and cleaned up. And the ones that they wanted to send through to us, they got them to us by uh, the end of March there. And then uh, we recently compiled the results and got them out to the breed associations and made them public knowledge for everybody to to look at and and kind of digest a little bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the way it's worked ever since I've been here, and they've done it that same way for all for a lot of years, and it's worked uh, very well for the most part, really. You know. Yeah. Oh, uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, I've noticed uh, folks are talking about some of you must have put it out there. Some folks got a hold of some of the proposals we have this year, and there's some uh, talk about some of them. I see see them on Facebook and things like that. And I see some of them complaining a little bit, like, why this many? Uh, but I don't feel like uh, there's always – this is an average number that we have uh, had for years and years, really. It's, it's very typical. It's almost half of the ones that in 2019. Yeah, we had a lot there. It, there was a lot sure of proposals did. that year. And I feel like our rules right now are pretty good. I, honestly, I, I think a lot of the stuff that needed to be cleaned up got cleaned up, but there's some stuff in here that may be useful. Uh, what, what the next step is at Autumn Oaks, uh, you and I will meet with two representatives from each breed association, chartered breed association, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have a roundtable discussion over each one. Uh, and, and those are some good discussions. You know, there's some knowledgeable people about rules and about hunting in there, and they know how these rules are going to affect things. And, uh, you know, we, uh, at, at the end of that discussion, we hand them ballots where they'll be they'll be voting on on their each breed will get a, a vote to uh, pass or fail these these proposals. Yeah. And it takes a majority vote to pass any proposal. So 
Oh, yeah, it's pretty pretty simple. You know, you hear some folks talking about there's too many. Why do we need more rule changes? And I don't know that we do. There's a couple that could be tweaked that it only make it better. Not doesn't really change a whole lot or whatever. But you hear a lot of, or I'm hearing and seeing a lot of, or I say a lot of some of. Um, it's too much to keep up with. Why do we have these? Why do we need these changes? Too much to keep up with. And you know, for that, I I don't agree with that really. For somebody that really does hunt a lot and takes hunting competition hunting seriously they know the rules it's not that hard for them to keep up i understand if you don't uh, compete uh, on a regular basis it may be harder you know it really depends on how much time you spend uh in the rule book really yeah. and i think uh we can always encourage people to spend more time reading your rule book that's right and i think anybody who pays attention to uh advisor columns or uh, interpretations that we put out stay pretty well versed on on most of the rules uh, like you said, most of them keep their rule books in the dash of their truck and yeah, and stay read up. They'll they'll read them before the night before a hunt. You know, yeah. it uh, seems like that a lot yeah. of ways. But uh, and really, if you think about, it, we have we have hunters that hunt in multiple registries where rules do vary a little bit, and and I can see where some of that where you get um, you know trying to keep everything on the same page. You know, if you're hunting in this registry or this registry or whatever, you know. But uh, for the most part. Uh, we have, we have some guys that do a pretty good job of keeping them straight. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about rules a ton since I've started here. And even back in the first, uh, first rule proposal year in 2019, we talked about it a little bit. And I'll, I'll never forget you telling me about how important they are because a, a, lot, a lot of thought has to go into these rule proposals because, you know, pe people put these in only considering the dog that's on their leash at that time. And they're not considering the bigger uh, aspect of it. You know, this, if we implement a rule, it could change somebody's whole breeding program. You know, they could start uh, altering their breeding program to meet a certain rule, you know, in different ways. And it can open, and, and also with uh -oh, some rules being passed, it can open up a can of worms with other rules that are already in place and cause issues in the woods that you have to really think these things through, right? This podcast is brought to you by the all-new Dogtra Pathfinder 2. Dogtra, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. You know, uh, like you told me back in 2019 in the first rule change year, a lot of, a lot of uh, thought has to be put into making these uh, choices on these rule changes. You know, we have to weigh the pros versus cons on what this, uh, this rule is going to, the cause and effect of the rules, you know. Uh, things may sound good in theory, uh, but uh, we have to take into consideration what changes can come from the rule change, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. It's a, it's a big deal. You know, rules play a big part in how we breed hounds and uh, and what we breed for. You know, and it's easy to quickly form a personal opinion. And oftentimes when you do that, you you base that opinion based on what it is that you're used to, be it uh, the, the, the type of hound that you like, type of dog that you like. Uh, oftentimes the terrain that you're used to hunting in, you know, and I can tell you, um, for instance, I live in Indiana, flatland, a lot of agriculture, uh, smaller woodlots. You know, it's very common to have a lot of 10, 15, 20 acre woodlots. We don't have a lot of the two, three, 400 acre uh, woods as their bottoms, you know, like they may in other places. But that's a whole lot different than West Virginia, you know, in the, hunting in the mountains and Everything is just so much different. Or Louisiana hunting in the swamplands, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, you know, or even California. Uh, one of one of the my uh, 
highlight trips after uh, working here at UKC was going out to California one time to a Coonhound event out there. And you talk about different, so different, you know, even just different than, than anything. I've hunted in a lot of different places, but that was just, that was so different. Hunted in rice fields where everything was flooded up. They had a lot of ducks unlimited uh, places out there that uh, where they worked together with the, with the clubs or whatever and had game, you know, the, and with the rice fields and everything, but there were raccoons in those places and that's where they hunted at. Yeah. But that was different. Had these little trails, uh, you know, in these, in these big fields, had these little um, paths or whatever trails and uh, some little tree lines along there, but there were raccoons there, but they would be out in this, you know, water uh, probably less than a foot deep, but they had these tulies out there, you know, and they, they'd swim around. A lot of times the dogs were out there swimming when they're tracking these raccoons. It was, it was fun, but, you know, but going back to the, just so much, so much different, you know, and, and you gotta, um, you know, so it is very important. And, uh, if, if you're not careful, um, some of the rules that you bring in could be very detrimental to the sport. That's right. You got to think outside of what's on the end of your leash. You got to think outside of what your region, That's exactly the right. stuff you have yep. in your region, right? So you ready to dive into yeah, some of the rule proposals let's do it. here? Let's yeah. do it. What do we have? Uh, number one, uh, the one that we kind of did a little teaser on uh, a while back, right, when we were first introducing this podcast, and one that we hear a ton about, uh, allowing the use of thermal imaging devices, cell phone cameras, and mirrors as scoring aids. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Rule 6R uh, talks about scoring aids, and currently the only thing that is allowed is a light and a squalor. Uh, now this would add to, and this is where that would go, you know, if it got uh, approved. And we want to make it very clear that these are only proposals. They are not rules yet. Right. You'll see and hear a lot of talk about some of these proposals. And I think it's easy for folks to get confused thinking these are new rules already. That's, That's right. not true. They are just proposals and they'll be up for a vote. But anyways, uh, if they do pass, they will go into effect for 2023. So just because we're talking about this or maybe even maybe even you'll hear folks that are in favor of it doesn't mean that you can use the thermal right away. But you're right. That's a that's a big one. That's right. And five of the seven charter breed associations sent this proposal in 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 your uh, experience here when you have that many uh a breed association sitting in the same proposal does that kind of bode well for it passing or does it not really not much correlation there i think for the most part it kind of does and i think in this case it kind of does i i see a lot of the hunters and in all of the associations they're kind of pushing for this a lot of them are and i'd be surprised if it didn't pass and i don't think we take any issue with it you know there's been a lot of talk with it you have one i've used one i don't own one but i've used one and it's pretty slick and really what it what it does is you still have to see the raccoon in order to score one but what it allows you to do, and especially this time of the year when there's so much foliage on, you can you can find that your sensor will tell you where that hot spot is, and you can concentrate and focus on looking in that area instead of everywhere else where it's probably not. And yeah. you have one, so what's what's uh, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, what's been absolutely. Your experience? I got one a couple a couple months ago in the middle of the winter uh, from a friend. I wanted to test it out. Obviously, I'm not out there. Uh, uh, honing my dog for, for major events, yeah. but I wanted to fool around with it, obviously, because everybody's talking about it and everybody has them. So uh, I did get it, and, uh, man, it, it does work pretty good. Uh, I, I haven't used it a ton this spring and summer yet, just uh, from all the traveling, but I've uh, using it out in the yard, and, and the few times I've been hunting, it, it does it does make a difference, and it's going to be a use. If it does get passed, it's going to be a useful tool for really cutting down on shine time and helping folks 
get the credit they deserve for the coons or dogs tree. Yeah, and that's and and that's always a good thing, yeah. really. Uh, but so I did. I used mine when the foliage was on. That's when I tried it. I think it was last summer. I guess is when I used mine. But so like this winter when there was no leaves on, was there were there any times when you when you found it because of that uh, where you may have walked away from one, one just hid somewhere laying in a crotch somewhere or something? I didn't necessarily have that experience, but when I was walking into trees, I'd go in completely lights off with the thermal and find it in the thermal before I ever broke out the light. Oh yeah, just to to check the effectiveness of it. And I did have to tweak a few settings. I think there's some tricks to yeah. some of that stuff. But The one thing that I see, a problem that I see with this uh, proposal is it includes cell phone cameras and mirrors as scoring aids in addition to the thermal imaging. But I, I think you kind of lump those two in. Uh, how, how did that come about? Well, like I said, five of the seven breed associations send in a uh a proposal similar to this. I think there was one uh, association in particular that added the cell phone cameras and the mirrors. So I bunched them all together because they're all considered scoring aids. Right. And then once we get in the roundtable discussions, it, there's going to be some breed associations that are maybe against, that are for thermals, but against the cameras and the mirrors. And uh, I think it could be one that we see an amendment on, uh, possibly. But uh yeah, so you're probably right. They'd probably be best to, and they'll probably get separated a little bit. And that happens a lot. Right. Shouldn't not pass one because they want to, just because they're all lumped together. That really right. has no bearing. And amendments are not a bad thing when you got, you know, 16 sure. knowledgeable people in there discussing things. Sure. So, yeah. uh, so uh, the second uh, rule change proposal we have is uh, change and combine rules for dogs treeing but not declared treed to receive the same demerit regardless of how the tree is scored. Uh, the recommendation from this proposal is to minus the strike points and to not assign any additional tree points in any circumstance. Yeah, that's one that a lot of mistakes get made on scoring is for dogs treeing but not declared treed when you arrive. And I remember for me, it was one that took me a while to kind of remember how how this works the difference between a dog being there treeing when you get there versus one coming in after you have arrived uh but uh so the current rules are uh, what what needs to happen where they make their biggest mistake is when they get in there they have this dog treeing but not declared treat somehow they want to put the pencil to it they that's want right. to minus it they want to do something with this dog that's right no 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 stop right you don't know how to score this dog until you score the tree it depends on how the tree is scored. That is, that plays the, that, that's how this other dog is going to get scored. So if it's a circle tree, circle rules apply. And this dog's, if he's struck in, obviously we would be, his strike points get circled. Okay. If it's a, if it's a plus tree, in that case, um, he is going to be minus uh, his strike points. If there's a coon scene, he's going to be minus his strike points. The other difference is if it is off game, in the case of registered, uh, obviously off game for a champion cast would be that dog would be scratched along with everybody else. But in registered, they get minus points for off game. But in that case, this dog will get his strike points minus. You assign next, we used to say next available tree position. Now it would only ever be 25. Right. So he gets, uh, you assign them 25 tree points, this dog or dogs. Uh, and we're talking about this dog in question is dog treeing, but not declared treed. And you minus both strike and tree. So there again, you don't know how to score the dog until you score the tree. Right. Um, but yeah, this proposal here would or would eliminate all of that and basically just give that dog some type of a penalty, which would be minusing their strike. 
as yep. I understand it, right? That's correct. Yeah, just minus strike points only and no no assigned tree points at all. So yeah. that'd be across the board. You know, in UKC, we always say that, that a handler has nothing to gain and has everything to lose by not calling their dog treed if they know their dog is trained. You know, before hunt time runs out. I know in some there's some rules out there in some other registries where that's not true. But in UKC, you should call your dog. And I've tried, I've hunted with guys, and I'm, you may have as well, you know, where it's like, hey, dude, why are you not calling your dog tree? Obviously, it's tree. Well, I don't like the tree. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to say, well, you know, but uh, what about this rule? Uh, okay. Oftentimes, they think, well, he knows better than what I know, you know, but then, then, Heaven forbid there's a raccoon there. Guess what? I'm going to minus him. Right. If he just treat his dog, the worst thing he can get is, you know, he just didn't give him an opportunity to get plussed. If it's a bad tree, you're going to get minused anyway. Yeah. And by not calling your dog treed, uh, if it happens to have a raccoon in it, you're going to get demerited instead of otherwise you would have got plus points. So right. that's just, it just doesn't work in UKC. Your dog's treeing. You're better served. There's no, you have no good reason not to call your dog. Right. Yeah. And like you said, that's a, a highly discussed and a probably a, a highly misused rule. And yeah. Maybe this rule change would change things. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we know what the intent is behind this proposal or? I think it's like you said, to alleviate some of the confusion between the different scenarios and uh, uh, referencing uh, different rules. Yeah. Did some of the proposals that were sent into you, did they come with reasons they wanted to uh, change that or why they thought this would be a good proposal? Some did. This one in particular did not, but I had a, yeah. a chance to talk to the guy who I know put the proposal in. And yeah. I think that was the biggest, uh, biggest yeah. factor for him. Yeah. You know, the one thing when we talk about strike points, scoring strike points, dogs shut out. Dogs shut out is, is means when when there's a dog struck and treed before, let's say your dog is struck and treed before mine even opens up or is declared struck. Yeah. And then my dog trees on the same tree as your dog. That means my dog is shut out on strike is what we call right. it. So if I'm shut out or a dog is shut out on strike, uh, in that case, those points are deleted. Um, you may have them written down on the scorecard just in case they they uh, they tree somewhere else. Sure. But if my dog trees with a dog that shut it out, my strike points are deleted and uh, I would have no strike points to minus. Right. And that would be true with uh, that would be true with uh, uh, if there's a raccoon in it for a dog tree, but not declared tree. He has no strike points to minus if he's shut out. That's right. OK, well, we'll move on to uh, rule change proposal number three. Uh, it says change rule 4B to read strike points will be minus if none of the declared struck dogs open within six minutes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is just changing the eight minutes that it is currently to the six minutes in the proposal. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I yeah. don't know there's much uh, rhyme or rhythm to or uh, reason to this one, you know, but eight minutes is a long time. I've always yeah. felt like it was a long time. I always felt like it was too long, really, but. Eight minutes is all I ever know, you know, as far as UKC goes. But uh, uh, the other thing, I don't know. It seems like it might be. I wouldn't be surprised to see this one pass, really. Right. I don't know. Uh, is there a, a really a good reason behind it? I don't see that, really. Yeah. Other I than think, I think the clear intent of this one is that we're going to uh, we're seeing shorter casts. Mm -hmm. A lot of the local level events are going to be hour long. And even some of the major events are yeah. 90 minutes now. Yeah. 
eight minutes is a long time to sit there and wait. If you can save a minute here or there, that can make a big difference in a cast. Yeah. And how many times have you really seen a dog get saved in the last or down at the wire or in the last minute or two? Really? Yeah. It just doesn't happen that often. Right. If they've shut up for five or six minutes, good chance that they're going to be quiet for eight minutes, really. I can think of one time where I would have won a cast if it was six minutes, but yeah, I don't have a vote, so don't worry. I'm not biased <laughs> to the situation. Yeah, that one's pretty straightforward. <laughs> right. Not much discussion on that one, I don't think. Uh, so we'll move on to rule change proposal number four. Uh, it reads, alter the tree countdown to read that the second tree position closes after 30 seconds and the third tree position closes after one minute. Uh, one note I have is... Uh, uh, the three-minute tree time is still in effect. That got changed back at the 2019 mm-hmm. rule change proposal. So. Yeah, you know, looking back for me, um, that is one. A countdown has been on in the rule proposals every year. I say every year, you know, every three years. Right. But every time for, I think, as long as I can remember. Maybe back in the early 90s to mid-90s, it may not have been. But uh, it's been in the last four or five. I, I know that. And it's just never, it's never never got passed right until what was it four or five years ago we had the super slams where we had some uh rules that we uh special rules that we tagged into the super slams that applied to only those events and it involved money so there it it, we had to somehow uh pay out this money so we changed a few things and this was one this was one of them it really had no bearing i guess on the on the money part of it other than um uh, it gave us an opportunity to kind of use this as a pilot uh, pilot test to tr- try it out. And we kind of did a middle of the road, which was just made it as simple as after two minutes after the first dog is declared treed, second and third tree are no longer available. You know, and dogs would only go in for 75. And I think it was because of that, a lot of guys actually liked it. And yeah. the next year, when the next time the rule proposal came down, which was 2019, it's on there just as we had it set for the Super Slams, and it passed in flying colors. Right. And, and we that's d- what we have today. So. After I started, we we discussed a lot uh, before the rule changes. Obviously, we knew about the TOC then. It wasn't public, public knowledge at that time. But uh, we had discussed some things that uh, would make our rules uh, more efficient for some of those guys, more comfortable, and that we thought that we needed um, in order to, to make that program as successful as it is. And I remember uh, some – Pretty healthy discussions in in yeah. the rule in the the rule change meeting uh, to get that uh, countdown pass, and I think for the most part it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. I don't hear many complaints about yeah. it. You know, so I don't know. I don't know what what you're what you're thinking here, or what the what you're hearing. You know, this takes it a step further. You know, it just uh, it's after uh, thirty seconds, second tree closes, and and uh, one minute after the first dog is treed, third tree is closed as well. Right. You know, so hey, we'll see. Yeah, so we'll move uh, move right along to uh, rule change proposal number five. Hey, one thing, one thing I do want to add, oh, yeah. you know, the argument when they didn't pass before has always been two things basically. One is uh, don't be like another registry just because another registry has that, you know. And I think that was I don't know. Okay, that was one. Number two was the argument that I always heard or heard a lot of times was that judges won't be able to keep up. It's too much for them to keep up with as far as clocks go. And to that, I always thought. Come on, let's get a better argument than that. Um, and and I understand some judges maybe have a harder time, or it's just it's maybe too much for them. But personally, I don't I don't think it ever was. And now since we've had it, have you heard any issues with it? I haven't. You don't hear anything. I haven't. Don't hear anything. Right. Right. 
Yeah, so so moving on to rule change proposal number five uh, reads, alter rule 11D, taking out the stipulation that you must hear a struck or treed dog open before recasting. Yeah, and this applies to dogs uh, that just came out of a tree scoring situations and are to be uh, recast. The intent of this rule goes back to day one, probably, of night hunts. You know, and back then, they really wanted the dogs to hunt together. And that's why you would wait till a dog opened. So when you flip this dog loose, it would go to those dogs. As we know now, a lot of times when that happens, a dog opens over here, this dog's just going to go that way. It really doesn't. Yeah, the opposite direction, maybe. So the intent, you know, that old intent is kind of a mute point anymore. So, um, so I guess the question is why even have this eight minute clock, you know, uh, a lot of people talk about us having the no leash lock. And is this the only uh, time in the rules where a handler is really has his dog leash locked and he doesn't have the option to, to cut loose? It's the only one, unless it's a timeout situation, but he's boats on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing is sure. Sometimes, you know, uh, I, I know handlers, may want to use it as a as a handling tool you know the the whole eight minute thing or to before you before you turn loose to hear a dog open up and we just talked about the eight minute thing you know yeah they're wanting to uh get this dog maybe hopefully it'll get minus on track is one thing you right. know kind of a handling thing the other thing that it does if a dog gets minus for it that means all dogs struck in on track would be minus that are out but it would also open strikes before they turn loose and open up that first strike position again for them so um, but you know, before they turn loose, uh, yeah, we, we've obviously discussed this rule a little bit and it's one you see applied quite often in some high leverage situations. I mean, we just came off of the TOC finals, uh, you know, a month and a half ago or two months at this time. And, uh, if you were watching the live play by player, obviously I was out there on the cast. Uh, we're, we're getting, we're about halfway through the hunt. We just got to, uh, Connor's tree where all everybody had to cross the river to go score Connor. And in the process of that happening, Joe trees behind us across the field. Yep. So get pull Connor off, headed Joe. JR elects to keep Connor on the leash, going to him, score his tree. Uh, it doesn't take but a couple of minutes. He's got a coon. Both of those dogs are handled. And Piper is at large. She's over a mile away. Wins uh, not in her favor at all. It's going to be hard to hear, but the first thing we have to do is walk back to where we last heard her, which is over a half mile away. So then you're eating 10, 15 minutes there. Then when you get there, you have to run the eight-minute clock. Uh, and so we ended up wasting 15 to 20 minutes of hunt time right there for for that Joe could have been competing with Dominator and maybe had a chance to make some sort of comeback, but he was leash-logged there. Yeah, the there was there's a good example, a scenario of where the eight minutes did get that dog. Dog was just too far out of pocket, but you had to first walk back to where you last heard the dog. Doing so there just adds a whole lot more time to it. And you're you're right. I'm kind of the same way, you know, really. It seems like uh, I want my dogs down competing for as much as I possibly can, you know. But So that's something to think about when you uh, when you consider this rule, you know, some different things. What's what's more important? But just like that, in that example, uh, Joe Manning could have turned his dog loose like right away. And in Indiana, you know, a place where we live, eight minutes or in this in this case was 12, 15 minutes. But in eight minutes, even a lot less time than that, Indiana, Michigan, a lot of places, you can get more points on the board. A lot can happen. Yeah, a lot can happen. And it has happened. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So moving right along to uh, a rule change proposal number six. Uh, this one reads... Remove the first offense warning from Rule 2A for handlers not striking their dog on or before the third bark. 
That's one that got implemented in 2019. I remember when it came in, the whole idea behind uh, some, uh, warnings versus uh, going to the minus right away had a lot to do with kid handlers, youth handlers, maybe not being as familiar with their dog's voices and being a little being a little more con, uh, considerate yeah. of that, you know. And I get it. I yeah. really do. But I feel like it's one that I hear, we hear a lot of complaints about. And I think it's being abused. You know, they're, they're trying it to uh, uh, call the wrong dog. If they can get away with it, a uh, great deal. You know, kind of trying to steal some points maybe. And if not, right. it's one they have in their back pocket of pass. Right. So, so mm -hmm. actually on rule change seven here, which they're kind of grouped together because they're both first offense uh, warnings. This one here reads, remove the first offense warning from rule 2D for handlers calling the wrong dog. Mm -hmm. So those mm -hmm. two both had the first offense yeah. warning yeah. added to them in the last rule change. I know that the intent at the time doesn't match what the results are on the field. Like you said, it's being abused, taken advantage of, um, and I don't know. It's yeah, I, I think it'd be a good one to reconsider, to be honest. Remove those warnings. I think it's uh, – I think it was good. The idea was good behind it, you know, kind of looking out for the kids or considering kids. Um, uh, but really, I don't think it happens as much as it's kind of a good idea. Yeah. The yeah. desired effect isn't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, moving right along to rule change proposal number eight. Uh, this one says, put a time limit on handlers recasting their dogs after pulling them off of a scoring situation. Give them up to one minute to recast their dog, or if another dog in the cast is a clear treat, up to one minute to utilize their option to keep their dog on leash until the next opportunity to recast arises. This is an interesting one. And I know who sent this one in, and I actually called him up, talked to him about it for a little while. And I I uh I thought it was brilliant, to be honest, really. I kinda like the I kinda like it. Uh, what what it is essentially is let's say you and I take our dogs off off of a scoring situation. And uh, in UKC right now, we don't have a time limit or a distance that we walk away from the tree. Right. All The only thing that's required or what's general rule of thumb is that we walk far enough away to where you and I are both satisfied we're far enough away that our dog isn't going to turn around and go back to the same tree. Right. Uh, this proposal gives us one minute, you and I one minute after scoring our tree, and I can turn loose whenever I want to within that minute. And so can you. And it does not have to be at the same time. We have got one minute to turn our dogs loose. Right. And we can walk as far as we need to for that minute. Um, I, I kind of like the idea of it. Right. Yeah, it kind of takes some, you know, kind of the guesswork away from the judge who's, who's trying to appease everybody. You know, you, you kind of set your own boundary. How far either you're comfortable with your dog recasting, you turn around and flip the dog loose. And don't worry about it, or you walk as far as you can, as fast as you can in a minute. Yeah, it was all that was always a big deal for me. And I used to try to really work on my dogs and train dogs for that. That I just flip them loose right from the tree that I scored on. And I honestly, I never thought it was, I never had one that was hard to train for that. But, um, but yeah, I think this is an interesting one. The other thing that, that I'm thinking of, and I think folks should think about before you say one way or another, vote one way or another, is we also have. And like anything else, any other rule proposals, how it might affect another rule. And right. there is one here, and that is the one-minute grace period uh, that we have. Every time you turn a dog loose, you have a one-minute grace period where you do not have to strike that dog when it opens, right? Right. So if you turn your dog, you and I turn our dogs loose at different times, 
that will complicate that, or it could complicate that a little bit. You know, so I don't know. I thought about it, and I actually talked to, to the guy that uh, sent this in about this idea. How about adding that your one-minute grace period is all a part of it when you first start that clock? Right. In other words, in other words, uh, as soon as we scored it and get the dogs handled up, our one-minute for turning loose and our grace period for striking our dog is running. Yeah. If you're hunting a loose mouth dog, you may want to cut loose a little quicker. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but uh, that's, I can see that complicating things a little bit. Although it would be, if you and I didn't turn loose at the same time or uh, what have you, you'd have to run two clocks or two times, I guess, you know, but uh, so that's why it kind of makes, it would alleviate that. And I think it, that's what I would vote for personally, I think. I like that idea. Maybe interesting to see what uh, amendment amendment could come out of this yeah. to get voted on. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, no, I think this is an interesting one, and it, and I kind of like it. You know, going back to um, this this one having a time period for turning dogs loose uh, at the World Hunt this year, uh, and and I tried to ask hunters about different proposals, this and that, what their thoughts are. Uh, I was talking to a guy from Louisiana about the one minute, a one minute rule like this to, you know, that you had to walk a minute before you cut dogs loose. And he, he told me, and again, he goes back to Indiana is not same as Louisiana or West Virginia. Regional. But he, he told me this was that in the, some of the swamps that we get in into Louisiana, a minute is not nearly enough. And he explained to me a little bit, some of the places that they hunt, they, they're out there in this swamp getting a dog out of it, and it's so thick and nasty, a minute that they can't get far enough away from a tree in a minute that it does them any good. Yeah. So that's something, you know, something to think about. You know? I'll say there's some swamps here in Michigan where I get my boot stuck and I can't get it out in a minute. Yeah, but we don't trouble. have gators, though. I'll take <laughs> no this gators to worry about, that. right? <laughs> we'll be right back. If you're trying to contact UKC, don't wait on hold. Use the online chat feature on ukcdogs.com. So moving on to uh, the last rule change proposal we have, and that's uh, number nine here. Uh, in any category, a dog to accrue 200 minus points, regardless of pending strike and tree points, for running, treeing, or molesting off-game, and the off-game must still be seen as is a requirement in the rulebook right now. Yeah. This is one I don't expect would pass, but I think maybe it might get some minds turning a little bit, maybe more than anything. And I can tell you where it came up uh, for us a little bit was with our TOC, uh, where it involves money again, that needs to be distributed or distributed. Uh, uh, and, and as such a scenario with that we were discussed would be if the whole cast scored off game, right. You know, at some point in the cast, you know, this and that. So it was, you know, they're trying to move a dog on and, uh, you know, if possible at right. all. So that's kind of where we started having this discussion. This came up or whatever, but it is one and it's something to, I don't know, something to consider, I guess. Yeah, like you said, the biggest time that we see it is in our major events where advancing is the name of the game, not so much high scores. Right. So uh, we're trying to get a three dog final cast in TOC. We're trying to get a three dog final cast in the world finals. We're trying to get a, a final four at Autumn Oaks, theoretically. This year we had two dogs hunting because of the crummy weather on the, early round in the grand 16. So, yeah. And some guys are going to make the argument, you know, you have dog a that, uh, treed, uh, five raccoons in a two hour hunt and you have dog uh, B 
that only treed two, but dog A treed five raccoons and a possum, which is the better dog. You know, that's one argument you're going to hear. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's your opinion and my opinion. And, and the next guy's opinion is is uh, what that is, you know. But it, it's important to note this one would demerit any dog that is under off game the same value. In other words, the same amount of minus points. That's the thing. Regardless I like of where they yeah. struck or treat in. That's the thing I like the best of it. it if I if I uh, strike and treat right out of the truck for a hundred and a hundred and a quarter and someone gets struck in for a quarter and, and trees in after the two's over for a quarter, they're getting the same uh, 200 minus that I'm getting in this rule proposal here. Yeah. And really, I, I don't know. And again, it's opinion, I guess. And we can debate this all we want. Um, but is the infraction worse for any worse for the dog that treed first, worse than the dog that treed second? I don't know. It's all it's, it's in how you look at it. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to create a healthy discussion on this. And I think that's what this rule proposal does. Yeah. You know, we have other, obviously have other dog sports, but in like beagles, for instance, uh, there's quite a few different things where a dog gets the same amount of demerit points, regardless of where they struck in at. Right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is kind of the end of our our nine rule change proposals that we got in this year. Uh, like you said, I think it's important to note that these are not official changes. These are just proposals that will be voted on at Autumn Oaks. Everybody will be made aware of them after the fact, after the ballots are in. We'll make everybody aware of what passed, what failed, and you won't see these changes implemented until the 2023 uh, rule book comes out. Um, yeah, and where can folks go to find all these um, proposals? Right. So uh, right now. Uh, there, uh, I, we have some discussions on them on the forums. Uh, we'll probably get them posted up on, uh, we, we do have them on the UKC dogs, uh, website on the Coonhound news feed. Uh, so that's a good place to look for it. And, uh, we've, we've mentioned some things on our social media, but as we get closer to time, I think we're going to do more things like that. I know in the past you've done some polls to kind of get where people are, uh, where their thoughts are at mm -hmm. and, uh, and maybe get some discussion and see, see what happens there. I think that's a useful tool for us because we're going to take hunters opinions into account here and, and the breed associations are too. And that's the good thing about it and the format of it. Yeah. And then just yet another good reason to be a member of one of the chartered breed associations. And I don't know if we made that clear or not, you know, there's, there's numerous breed associations, but the ones involved here are the seven chartered UKC chartered breed associations. Absolutely. Yeah, so just real quick, we hit on a couple of uh, proposals that we got in that aren't necessarily running rule proposals, which is what we're looking for whenever we're doing rule changes. Right? Correct, correct. And the, so these procedural changes are more things that uh, we can change within the rule book without it going to a vote or having people's uh, uh, or uh, the breed associations voting. We we can make mm -hmm. those changes uh, if we feel they're necessary. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that you hear a lot about are hunt directors hunting yeah. in the hunts. Yep. And that's one that we got in from multiple breed associations. Um, and it's one that we're, we're strongly considering this year. You have maybe a little more input on it than, my, than I may have at this point. Well, maybe we do have them in our beagle programs where they do allow the hunt directors in our squirrel hunts. We, we allow those as well. And, and it was a good platform to kind of try it. And really for the most part, we haven't had um, any issues with it. Um, I think it's always still the better, the better, uh, the better events or the, your major events should still have a master of hounds. Sure. That's just the better way to go. It yes. really is. You know, there's the, the procedures are in place. If you don't agree with their decision, you can have a panel uh, where the hunt director, um, if you have a hunt director, it does go directly to a three person panel. And there's nothing wrong with that. The biggest issue is with it is 
uh, especially for some of the smaller local club type events, uh, is this panel available? That's right. Are those three individuals going to be available? That's going to be the hardest thing until after the hunt is over. But I can tell you for the most part in the beagles and, and even the squirrel dog stuff, it's worked right quite well. It has, it's, it's worked okay. So, uh, we'll certainly take another dive into that and, uh, and consider that. I think it would certainly help some clubs, um, you know, as far as at the local level, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, that's kind of the conclusion of the, the rule proposal we're going to see this year. So the next step now is to, uh, get the autumn oaks and, uh, get them voted on. So make sure that if you have strong opinions on some of these, get them out to your breed association that you're a member of. Uh, we still got some breed days on tap currently. So uh, obviously all of them have social media pages now, emails readily available. They're probably on, they're probably your friends on Facebook. So just shoot them a message. There you go. <laughs> but yeah. let, let your opinion be known. Don't, don't uh, keep quiet and then be mad when one that you agree with or disagree with gets changed. Yeah. And again, just, uh, just consider um, that not every, uh, not everybody likes the same type of dog that, uh, that I like or you like or what have you and the train a lot of there's a lot of things that come into play when you uh, uh you want to make sure you think of uh think of everything before you just say yay or nay to any proposal thanks for listening to the UKC hunting ops podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC hunting ops on Facebook and Instagram